Well, today I want to talk about an inheritance that we have in Christ, which Paul speaks to today. To be sure, this inheritance is in part rooted in the hope of heaven, which is on many people's minds. In fact, the publication of books like Heaven is for Real or 90 Minutes in Heaven and The Five People You Meet in Heaven, these all demonstrate that heaven sells on earth. You see, I grew up in the Pentecostal church, which means that I heard a lot about heaven. But I have to admit, I never understood the obsession with heaven. I was always much more interested in earthly things and hiking and baseball and Air Jordans. And so it bothered me when I would hear statements like, why does it matter if we protect the earth? It's all going to burn anyways, right? Is this what the Bible teaches? Or I would suggest that there is a similar notion that floats around At points, a seemingly noble commitment to piety and mission, such as when someone says, you care more about the beauty of your church architecture and music or about football or business or beach trips, but not about what really matters, which is saving souls. Do we have to choose between the two? Is that what Christianity is about, actually? If so, then why does it matter if we work well? Why does it matter if we paint well or exercise or make beautiful music and art and more? You see, I think the real issue with such sentiments is not that they put forward a vision of heaven that is too large, but rather they are driven by a vision of heaven that is so often too small. In fact, the scriptures don't really even tell us that we have to choose between heaven and earth, but in fact that we can and will have both. Revelation 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. You see, if we see the Bible as merely a heaven-promising book, this will blind us to biblical texts elsewhere about a renewed creation about the God who says, see, I am making all things new. Scripture's description of the destination of the story is never heaven alone, but rather the resurrection of the dead, of all the saints, and the renewal indeed of all things. This is what Paul is pointing to today, at least in part, in highlighting the hope to which we have been called, the riches of God's glorious inheritance among the saints. This is about the gospel. It is about Christ who has been raised from the dead and is now seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places, as Paul says. This is about the garden of Genesis being fulfilled in the city of God. And the significance of this is utterly astounding. About this, uh, Andy Crouch An author wrote the following, The new Jerusalem will truly be a city, a place suffused with culture, a place where culture has reached its full flourishing. It will be the place where God's instructions to the first human beings is fulfilled, where all the latent potentialities of the world will be discovered and released by active and creative cultivating people. This is a city, he writes, where the tree of life is no longer prohibited or perilous, and where the urban is at rest with the rural. The city does not pave over 
the garden. The garden is at the city's heart. Culture will be redeemed, transformed, and permeated by the presence of God. That is the end game. And so part of our call as Christians is to live now as we will live then. This is why the Nicene Creed, which clarifies this story of Scripture, tells us that the end game of the Bible is not merely heaven, but it is the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. And it's important for us as we think about these things to notice the physicality of this place, this new heavens and new earth, because what we have in the Bible, says Wendell Berry, is a story and a discourse about a connection to a people and a place. You see, if God's answer to death and decay is not every bit as physical as both death and the earth itself, then it's no answer at all. But the vision of Scripture is the earth and all of its physicality, but with heaven rushing in, which is why we pray every Sunday. May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So why on earth does this matter? Well, this all matters because if our vision of life after death is a kind of disembodied, ethereal cloud ride, then why would we look forward to it? Why? It's not interesting. But if it is the city of God with all the saints and those whom we've lost, that's interesting. And if it is a physical place with the goods of human culture and activities of everyday life, except that they are so shot through with God's presence and power and activity that they themselves become acts of worship, well, then we begin to see how it matters to act even now as if everything we do are potentially acts of worship to the Creator. C.S. Lewis writes about this, saying, a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking. But one of the things a Christian is meant to do, it does not mean that we are to leave the world presently as it is. He says, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire. The great men and women who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. Lewis concludes, it is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. You see, Lewis contends that it is precisely when the church has an accurate and a robust view of heaven that they are earthly good. When we see how heaven breaks into our present activity, then we are like the saints whose work on earth is so united to God's purposes that they are acts of praise. And I believe that when the church has understood this, it has made all the difference. It has been a source of cultural renewal on every level. So we see this historically in the church's development of hospitals to care for the sick. We see this, for instance, with church architecture that evokes thoughts of the transcendent and the heavenly. We see this in the church's commitment to both art and music, having produced countless artists and musicians whose work spoke to death or to romantic love or worship of God in in ways that words never could. Think, for instance, 
of Bach's Mass in B minor. We see it in the church's commitment to education and learning through the development of schools, many of which are the world's greatest universities still to this day. And finally, we see it in so many institutions that care for the stewardship of the earth, reflected in the church, especially in Celtic and Franciscan spirituality. How we think of where we're going with all the saints impacts very much where we live presently. So there is a Welsh proverb which says that a seed hidden in the heart of an apple is an orchard invisible. Isn't that beautiful? A seed hidden in the heart of an apple is an orchard invisible. We have no idea how the very small seeds of the physical things that we do now, the writing of a song, the putting together of a family photo album, the painting of a picture, the investment in a young student, the excellence pursued at a board meeting, even a vestry meeting, the hard work done to serve others. We have no idea how these will flower out into eternity, into the new heavens and the new earth. You see, the hymn writer Isaac Watts puts it perfectly in his setting of Psalm, 1, or Psalm 23. He says, Oh, may thy house be mine abode and all my works be praise. Well, in the new city, our work will be our praise. Work done with those we've lost and loved. Also those we've not loved. This is the vision. The inheritance of God. This is the power of the gospel. And it's an invitation for you and me. This day and every day. To live now as we will live then.